All right, welcome back to the Young Turks. We got a fun guest for you guys. Uh, all of a sudden, in the studio, Jim Gaffigan, everybody. Thank you. So, Jim, normally I'd go through like the whole resume and who's in this, who's in that, but people know you, right? What do you, what do you have? Uh, 18 comedy specials or 28? Seven. 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 Okay. I caught the last one on Amazon. Uh, it was excellent. Thank you. Uh, and and now you got a new movie coming out, uh, American Dreamer. Okay. So that is totally different. Now, I want to talk about your career because I'm super interested in why you decided to do comedy, how you came up, etc. Yeah. I'd love to, to get into that. But I want to talk about the movie first because sure. it kind of kicked ass. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and so look, normally like I'm a lot of times I'm tough on the guests, etc. Yeah. But my problem is that I like your stuff too much. Uh, and I fooled you. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and you remind me, and this is a you know, quizzical thing, but you yeah. remind me of a, uh, one of my best friends growing up. Uh, so I feel like I already know you. He was a good looking guy, huh? Hey, oh, shoot, uh, prom king, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you're so similar to him that I'm like, I already know really? Jim. I oh, already there know you him. Go. Yeah, right, yeah. Thanks. He, he should have gotten into comedy too. He's super funny, but he became an engineer. Anyways, American Dreamer. Yeah. Uh, First of all, how did the movie come about? Because I, I, having watched it, I was curious, like whose idea was it? it like, how did this come together, etc.? The writer and director, he, he co-wrote it, but Derek Bort, uh, he wrote this. He's done a couple movies, uh, maybe five or six movies, and this was a small indie with a micro budget that he was going to do uh, in Norfolk and uh, Virginia Beach, where he's from, and uh, he had this script and. They were looking at different people and they wanted, uh, he wanted kind of an empathetic guy to play this lead character of Cam and uh, so that there could be somewhere for him to go and maybe for the audience to kind of empathize with him and then kind of question their judgment. And so he was looking at different people and I got the role and I was excited. Yeah, so I wanna show a quick uh, part of the trailer here because uh, I've decided that no one plays a frazzled white dude better than you. I am the white dude. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's watch. Hey. What are you doing? Oh, I, I was in between Ferris, thought I'd swing by, see Adam. The police are on their way. What? I have to protect my son. I don't know if you remember, but he's my son too. You look like shit. No, I don't. I'm serious. Are you taking your medication? Where's Adam? You know, you're not allowed to see him without supervision. Not to mention you're late on your payment again. Why is it always about money with you? You need help. No, 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 Becca. What I need it's for you and everyone else on this planet to stop sabotaging me. So watching the movie, Jim, the whole time I'm like, no, don't do that, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. And and like, so I'm not gonna give away what's in the trunk or what happened, yeah. et cetera. But there's something in the trunk and the whole yeah. time I'm like, oh no, oh no, please open the yeah. trunk, please no, don't open the trunk. Right? Yeah. There's so many uh, elements of this film where even reading the script where I was, it's strangely, uh, it felt like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been this dumb. I've been this self important. I've been this 
unable to acknowledge that I have problems. And so I, I've never done anything this guy's done, but this guy is, you know, it's called American Dreamer because he has this entitlement that he doesn't understand why he is a rideshare driver. He doesn't understand why he can't see his son, even though he doesn't pay child support. And there's, he's fighting these things and he refuses to look at himself. And I think a lot of men are guilty of that. We kind of like, I think that, I mean, this is gonna get me in trouble, but I think that like men, we have to learn how to be civilized human beings. It's like something, and I see it with my yeah. boys. It's like, I'm like, dude, I know the world's chaos. I know you wanna scream and yell, but you gotta just behave. Yeah, no, 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 I recognized that early on, because I, I grew up in Jersey, I got into a lot of fights, right? And then I realized, hey, maybe I should play football. Like, <laughs> yeah. put, put it to productive use. Yeah. So I became a middle linebacker and hit people in a socially acceptable way. Yes. Right, because yeah. there, especially as growing up, you oh, know, yeah. there's this, as a male, you got a lot of hormones and yeah. pent up frustrations, et cetera, and the world's tough. That's like, what I got out of the movie, it was like, man, a lot of people are down yeah. and then they get desperate. Yeah, and and then screams through it. That's why I think the title is good. Yeah, I mean, you could tell I like this. Movie, no, man. I mean I. Oh, that's why I sent it to you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, this is, you know, this is a commentary on the gig economy. Like we don't even like even as the movie starts, you know, I take Ubers all the time living in New York City, and I don't, you know, I don't, I'm like, is this for me? And then I don't interact with the guy, uh, and you know, there is like we're losing touch with some humanity that we should. Really, kind of, you know, embrace consistently, and so, but like every time we've had a screening of this in the Q and A, someone will bring up something that I never thought about. You know, mental illness is you know completely undiagnosed in our society, and uh, you know, but you know, there's the accountability. Every time I see this movie, there's something different there. But most importantly, it's it's a thriller and it's entertaining. So it happens to me from time to time, so I'm curious. When you get into Ubers, yeah. are there a lot of times, oh, hey, you're that dude. You're Jenks' good friend from high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like there is like, <laughs> there's some, you know, but you know, some of it is I just, having done this movie, I just assume they don't wanna talk, at least the ones that I have. And it's like, now I'm kind of like conscious of like, there's a human being sitting up there. And, yeah. and people do ride share things. Maybe as a side job, or like maybe they're students, but like some people, like Cam, this is like they've been shooed out of every other occupation, and that's why he's doing this. So, one more thing about the movie. So, it is like a low budget movie, you can yeah. tell, right? And normally, like I, my, the guy I co founded the company with is Ben Manquitz, and we co host a show called Old School, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so, he's a, a, a Turner Classic Movies host, yeah. et cetera. And so, he kids around with me because I like, to go into a movie theater and like movies, like yeah. you know, not action necessarily, but yeah. grand movies, right? right? And so I came in a little skeptical, and as you can tell, it totally won me over. But why? Why did you decide to do this one when they sent it to you? And you know, hey, look, they're on a tight budget here. Why? Why this one? Because I personally love movies or entertainment that you know, when you're done consuming it or watching it. You have questions. You can have a conversation with the person you saw the movie with. You can disagree with that person. Like I love uh, the fact that I can see something uh, and it can prompt some creative thought. I mean, as creative people, we want to be stimulated. We don't. And and by the way, during this movie, there's no uh, speeches where the the you know this drug dealer 
is like giving a speech on like, hey, I was, you know, I did this for you, and this is about like you come from middle class existence, and you know, there's <laughs> none of that, but that's what you can take away from it. Yeah. And that's a compliment to the, the directing and the writing. Yeah, no, no, it was great. So it came out in select theaters on September 13th, yeah. and it's now available on demand and digital. Um, on the 20th. On the 20th. And so what does that mean? Where can people get it? That essentially means it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be on like iTunes, video on demand. And I know this my my last special uh, before quality time had a similar release like this. Is that you know, it's essentially everywhere people buy things for entertainment, which is like you turn on your cable box, there's something there. You go to YouTube, you can rent it there or iTunes. Yeah. So. All right, got it. And as you can tell, I highly recommend it. Oh, okay. Um, so let's let's talk about your career a little sure. bit because now you're doing serious roles here, but obviously yeah. you're a comic. Uh, first of all, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Indiana in a relatively small town, uh -huh. Chesterton. And uh, and when did you have an inkling that uh, you might want to be a comic? I you know I did not grow up believing that. Uh, I thought that people in the entertainment industry lived in New York or in L.A. and they they loved to take tap dancing classes. I didn't <laughs> know that it was even an option. Like there was no you know like the closest thing was the marching band in my town. And so, and I was also like, my family's been in the, this country for generations, but my dad was the first one to go to college and wear a tie to work. So it was, you know, going into the entertainment industry was counterintuitive. Like I was supposed to seek security. And so, uh, but I would say, like, as a teenager watching, like, I watched the Carol Burnett show and was like amazed by that. And I loved. You know, SNL as a kid, and Bill Murray and David Letterman were heroes, you know. Yeah. Um, did you have a sense of what you were going to be before you thought of that? Did you think you're going to be an engineer, a doctor? I assumed that I was going to be what my dad was, which was a small town banker, uh, or I was going to work in finance. I thought that I was going to wear a tie to work and then retire at 65 and play golf for five years and die. You know what I mean? Well, I that thought sounds that sounds like a good plan, but but that's you know <laughs> that was what how I was raised. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, just curiosity. In high school, did you play sports? I did. What, I was, you? you know, like I'm often cast as like a nerd, but I was the captain of the football team. It was. Oh, a you small, were. Okay. Yeah, I played. Uh, you see how surprised I was. Yeah. See, <laughs> no, it's like people like often when people meet me, they're like, "Oh, I thought you were like five three. And you know, like people, I just maybe it's because my personality, I'm, I come across as so weak or something. But uh, yeah, no, I played sports were pretty important. Like I played, it probably helped me get in Georgetown to play football. It was mm -hmm. Division three, but you know, I I you know I love football, but like you know, here we are in September, but like August when I smell the cut grass with the heat. I have like panic attacks because I think there's two a days coming up. Oh, you know me too. I mean? It's I, just like, it, oh, we gotta do that. Yeah, I remember the the smell of a, a high school track gives yeah. not panic attacks, but makes me stressed out. Yeah, because that's where we did two a days, and you know, and yeah. and and worked so hard in the. Heat, etc. Right? Yeah. And so it gives me that same like uh, Pavlovian reaction. Yeah. Uh, what position did you play? I played center, and I was also a defensive tackle. Uh -huh. But it was, you know, like my high school had a hundred and twenty students, and probably thirty of them were girls, 
And we were undefeated my junior year. And it was because we had all these sets of brothers. And then now it's like the school is probably four times that size and they play like a JV, they put a JV squad together. Yeah, so were you, I mean, it sounds funny. Were you the class clown? Were you like, were you considered funny in high school? I was, I was definitely considered, uh, you know, like I was elected class clown or you know funniest. But uh, I was also elected best body, best male body. So really? I, yeah. I See, was, there I did it again. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, uh, yeah. So I was, but I was somebody who worked, studied really hard, but then would horse around. Mm-hmm. So I was never somebody who. Was uh, goofing off. I, I wouldn't goof off that much. I was too cons- like I've always had to work harder than other people. I'm like Bob Dole. No, I've always <laughs> had to work harder to just even get a B or a B plus. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know the feeling. All right, so uh, so how do you get started in comedy? I was, you know, I graduated and I I got this finance job uh, in Tampa and I was miserable. Not because of Tampa, but because of the job. And then I moved to New York. I was working in advertising, and I got, um, I had incredible stage fright. Did you ever have stage fright or no? Yeah, in the beginning, when I started on public access, so you yeah. know I'm legit. Uh, and yeah. so I remember looking at the camera was really hard. Like, it's so awkward to look at the camera and tell a story. So yeah. the way I got past it was I pretended it was my girlfriend, and I was telling my girlfriend a story. Yeah, it's interesting, but I had incredible stage fright. And uh, so I took this, a friend suggested that I take an improv class to just be on my feet. But like I would pitch an idea and then I would just get all flush and people would not listen to the idea. And so I took this improv class and while I was taking the improv class, someone, a classmate was gonna do a stand-up seminar and he was like, he like dared me to do it. And so I always wanted to do it and then I uh, did this kind of like met once a week with a group of people and then we performed at the end of the month and I fell in love the first time doing it. I was like, I don't know what this is. Uh, I don't think there's any way I can make a living doing this, but it felt like, it was like a high like I couldn't believe. It's, it's funny, I mean, in that sense, you're far more successful, so that's where the similarities end. But in that sense, it's incredibly similar story. I go to do the first public access show, nobody cares, etc. Yeah. And I think this is absurd, you can't just do a talk show. Yeah. Who, who decides their, their opinions are important enough to do a talk show, how preposterous. I do it the first time, I'm like, God, I love this. I'm Isn't doing this the rest strange? of my life and I hated the corporate world, couldn't stand it. It is. It felt liberating. Yeah, it is, you know, and by the way, that is like, I don't know if, I, you know, for me, it's like that creative fulfillment is something that I so desperately wanted because I did feel like an oddball in the corporate world. I, I feel like an oddball in every group, but like when I'm doing standup or when I'm acting, it's this creative, even when I'm doing commentaries on CBS Sunday morning, there's this creative fulfillment that is, it's it's like oxygen for me. Yeah, so when before you started, was there a little secret place where you, inside your head where you thought, I actually think I am really funny, right? And and God, I, I want to give it a shot. I don't want to tell people because that they'll think that's very immodest oh, and etc. Yeah. Well, I was, I was. People had always told me I should be a comedian or that I should do it. So I mean, there is like a strange audacity to just. 
I mean, there's nothing normal about what I do. I go on stage and make strangers laugh. There's nothing normal about that. But like, there was, you know, there was something. I mean, some of it, honestly, it's like my mother died when I was like 24. So I was kind of like had this approach of like all rules or like anything anyone told me that I should do doesn't matter. Uh, but hmm. there was something about um, the experience where, I don't know, I didn't feel like uh, I was uh, gonna be bad at it. I just felt like, you know, it was, it was more embarrassing to tell people I was a comedian than to do it. So like when, when people at work would find out, they, they would look at me like I was mentally ill. You know what I mean? And by the way, you know, it probably seemed mentally ill. You know, it's like wait, you're doing what? You you're a comedian. You don't seem funny. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm at work. And so, yeah, yeah. it is. It, there's there's a strange audacity. Did you feel that way when people would find out you had this? That you know, like when you first started this, where they they would look at you like you were crazy, right? Hundred percent. And, and I felt so. It took me a long time to say I'm a talk show host. Yeah. Right. Because it felt absurd. Like yeah. I felt like everybody who was talking to me would think, "How dare you?" Yeah, like yeah. who who do you think you are to be a talk show host? You didn't get any training for it. You didn't go to school. Like, oh, you, oh, Mister Valuable Opinions, right? Right. This is all actually in my head. Yeah. You know, they probably also thought it, but <laughs> but, no, but 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 yeah. it was largely my insecurities and my thoughts about that because it is a weird, audacious career, etc. Yeah. And and they almost, uh, oh yeah, then do okay if you're so good, why why don't you do a talk show? Like yeah. But <laughs> like you at the office, all right, funny man, make us laugh, yeah. right? And and you're also, you know, like if insanity is repeatedly doing something, expecting a different result, you know, like when you're pursuing your dream, you appear like an insane person because I'm doing stand up, I'm living in a, a filthy apartment, and uh, you know, I have this day job, and I am taking acting classes at night, and then I'm doing stand up. I'm sure people were like, he's crazy. Like I know to my siblings, they're like, you know, hopefully Jimmy will be okay. Do you know what I mean? I was the oh, weird uncle. 100%, right? all my friends, all my family. Yeah. Like, I think he's gonna be okay. He's yeah, gonna be he'll, okay, he'll be right? Okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I wanna go back to your mom for one second. So you said she died when you were 24 and that yeah. made a big difference. Was it like, hey, who cares what the rules are? You die at some point. What, like, what was it? Was it that or something well, else? Well, I think that I was, you know, I think that I was relatively passive, even in studying finance. Uh, you know, I was kind of raised to believe, you know, like here's what you should do. What you should do is this: seek security, and then, and so like it was so disruptive to my logical thinking. It's like my dad was this hard drinking, smoking guy who. He stay he's fine but my you know my mother who's like you know obviously I idealize her but like who's this angel who was like this consistent uh you know piece of love she gets taken I was like there was this injustice and I wasn't mad at uh the world I just was like I've been sold a bill of goods you know that I have to find uh, some level of fulfillment in my career that is not uh, other people's expectations. Because other people's expectations were you went to college, you a successful person wears a tie, 
which I think is absurd. But then I get, you know, often I get cast in roles where I play a guy in a tie because I am the whitest man in America. <laughs> well, I agree with that too. So it's funny because at MSNBC, I didn't want to wear a tie. And they're like, no, you have to wear a tie. And it drove me crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, now, when, what do you consider to be your break? Like, when did you get that break and think, like, oh my God, wait a minute, this thing might just work? Yeah, I would say um, I was the last of my generation of comedians. Like, there's different kind of classes, if you will call them. And among my friends, uh, which Bonnie McFarland, uh, you know, Ian Bag, Bill Burr, they had all gotten late night shows. And Greg Giraldo was one of them. And they were, and I couldn't break through to get a Conan or a Letterman. And so I was the last of that group to get that. And all the other comedians that had started before me all had done it. And so I had to resign myself to the fact, you know what, I might be the weird uncle. I might, I get to do what I love, but there might not be these kind of um, measures of success that I had thought of, of a late night show. And so I finally got Letterman, which was a big deal being from Indiana. And his sarcasm is something that had a big influence on me. And so I did the set, and then right after the set, the executive producer, uh, Rob Burnett, uh, brought me to his office and he goes, we wanna develop a TV show. So it was like, I was like ignored for, you know, couldn't get arrested. And then I did Letterman after everyone had done it. And they're like, we wanna do a TV show with you. And, and the TV show, you know, ran for a little bit, but like, I was essentially, uh, you know, it wasn't like you're knighted for success, but it was like the you know I was uh, there was a bona fides you know of like you're you're authentically a comedian because I was on Letterman, and then these guys thought I was funny, and they thought uh, Ray Romano was funny enough, so it gave me some credentials. It was that same night. Same night. How much did you float on a cloud going home that night? It was it was absurd because I think my brother was there. I know my dad had watched it. It was, but it was also interesting because being so driven by goals, as ecstatic as I was, I was like, I didn't know what. My only goal was to appear on Letterman and to have that credentials of when people were like, "You're a comedian. Have you ever been on a late night show?" And I could finally say, "Yes, I was on Letterman." Um, but I also didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And so not to get all kind of, but you know, it took a while to realize, oh, I'm just seeking the creative fulfillment. It's not, because there were there are tons of things where you know, do this, you can get paid 50 grand a day to do it. And I'm like, that sounds horrible. No, like, yeah, but it'll make you more famous. It's it's not, you know, I don't want to be famous. Like this is an indie film that I selfishly want people to see this movie because I want other opportunities to play complex, interesting characters. That's my selfish motivation behind all this. I'm not looking to be, you know, uh, Superman, even though I'd look great in the costume. You know what I mean? It's, it's another thing we share. Right? We both <laughs> would look very good. I could be Mr. Pale Man. You know? So, uh, one more thing. Um, look, uh, by any and all measures you've made, right? So comfortable, you get to yeah. do what you want, yeah. etc. Right? Uh, when you wake up in the morning, are you like, yeah, 
stress? Or do you have those moments? Or are you still stressed? Are you still worried about things? You know, I I would say I'm excited that you know there are goals in acting that I mean I love acting and every acting opportunity is different. But what I love about stand up, which I feel where I go yes, is that I get to tour and I get to create material and. Um, that's really fun. Do you know what I mean? Like doing an hour show, whether it's in like Windsor, Canada, or uh, you know, Las Vegas, it's like that's really fun in front of an audience that knows your stuff. Uh, they know your sensibility, so you can come with new material that's good, and it's like this great conversation. Like that's where I'm like, I never thought I'd be able to get that. That's a strange thing that I really value. All right, everybody check out American Dreamer, uh, September 20th, available uh, on demand, digital, everywhere. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, thank you so much for joining us on the Young Turks. Appreciate Appreciate it, it, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, uh, we do have one more segment for the members. Uh, Anna's gonna come back, we're gonna do a post game on um, uh, more life realizations. I talked about a lot of this with John yesterday on on Old School. We'll pick pick that up and how I got uh, mentally healthy, and you can too. How's that for a twist? All right, tyt.com slash join to become a member, and we'll see you there.